And welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. When I started this podcast over a year ago, I had a very interesting goal. Rocky IV is one of my all-time favorite movies, and the soundtrack is one of the best, if not the best of all time. So I wanted to have on the living contributors to that soundtrack, and I'm very, very happy to say that I can cross off my first one today with the composer of the score of Rocky IV, Vince DiCola. Now, Vince was super nice to come on, and of course, you know Vince's music from Rocky IV, the training montage at war, the score is phenomenal. Sly Stallone and the composer of the first three Rockies, former guest Bill Conti, had a falling out, so that left open uh, a need for a composer for Rocky IV, and Vince tells the story of how he got the role. He worked with Sly's brother Frank on Staying Alive, it's not the reason why he got Rocky IV, but it's this great story how he how he got the movie. And after Rocky IV, he went on to a cult classic, Transformers the movie, the animated movie, which he has such a cult following because of that movie. It's unbelievable. We talk both those movies. We talk about what he's doing now. And he's preparing for a very big show in L.A. on September 20th at the Whiskey Go-Go. If you're in L.A., check it out. I wish I could be there. Vince, very interesting. It was good to hear about his career, and I hope you enjoy the interview. And helping me relive my youth today is Vince DiCola. Vince, how are you today? I'm good. How's everybody doing? Uh, I, know how you're, I don't know how everybody else is doing. Yeah, I'm sure they're super excited to hear you talk about you know, your work, and you've had you know, a very, very uh, distinguished career. So uh, let's go way, to the way, way back. Um, even before you got started in the business, who were some of like, your influences growing up? Well, I was lucky enough to grow up during the 70s, and there were, I mean, there were so many great bands that came out. Um, I mean, my earliest influence was probably the Beatles. Okay. Uh, I mean, I took, I took classical piano lessons from the time I was five years old, so, but I really didn't appreciate, like, the classical composers until I got older. So when it came to rock and roll, I'd say in my early teens, I started to get into the Beatles, um, and... Uh, the progressive rock genre of the 70s was what really caught my ear. And I would say that's the most influence that I have that has gone into the music I did for Rocky IV and Transformers. And I'm talking specifically about groups like Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Genesis. Yeah, I've had like a lot of like musical guests and a lot of them cite, you know, prog rock as big influences and yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of them too Genesis yes and Rush Emerson Slate and Palmer yeah they're, they're all they're all great and you can definitely 
tell that you were influenced, especially in Rocky, uh, Rocky IV's soundtrack, which we'll, we'll get to in a sec because that's like sure. on constant play, you know, in, in my in my house. <laughs> um, so when you got started in the business, what like what were some of your goals, like um, like starting out? Well, it's interesting that you ask that because um, I was playing in a band back in our hometown of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and. Um, the manager of the band said to me, it was, it was like a cover band, you know, it wasn't anything, we did maybe one or two original songs, right. mostly, mostly cover material out in bars and clubs and stuff. And uh, the manager of the band took me aside one day, and I'd say this is in the late 70s, you know, right, right around you know, maybe 1979, 1980, somewhere in there. And he said, you know, you've gone about as far as you can go in this area, and even though what I'm about to advise you to do is going to mean breaking up the band that I manage. He said, I really think you should go to L.A. because that's where a lot of the music that you have been listening to. And at that time, I had, it's, you know, I had gone past the progressive rock genre into what they call the West Coast rock sound. And that was everybody from Toto, right. uh, you know, all the West Coast sound that, that L.A. session musicians were playing. Um, uh, specifically a guy named David Foster who has produced, okay. you know, gazillion yeah. pop, pop songs. Uh, and since that's, you know, he and, and Jay Graydon was a guitar player who's also a great producer and songwriter. Those two guys were like my main motivation to, uh, for, for my friend Dave, who was managing the band, to say you should go out to L.A. And for, in my mind, thinking, you know, that's where these guys are. Uh, that's what I want to do, and I wasn't really thinking, though, in terms of writing. I was thinking in terms of being a session musician, and it wasn't until the opportunity to do Staying Alive came uh, across my desk, so to speak, right. in the early 80s, that you know, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I should try this. You know, I've been writing on my own, uh, but I hadn't really been serious about it until then. So my original goal was not to compose; it was to be an LA session musician. And um, I actually remember being in the studio recording the music for uh, "Staying Alive," and they actually had a second group of musicians waiting in the wings, so to speak in case these new guys could mm -hmm. not cut. And one of the guys was a session keyboard player that had worked in L.A. for many, many years. And I got to talk to this guy on our breaks, and I said, man, I would really, you know, I really would love to do what you do. And he just looked at me and he said, listen, he said, I would give anything to do what you're doing right now. Oh, wow. and that's, that's, <laughs> This was before Staying Alive really became popular. We were right. just recording music for it at that time. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, change in my plans that happened uh, when the Staying Alive opportunity came along. Right, and you mentioned Staying Alive, where it's long, you know, awaited a you know, sequel, and which was probably one of the most popular, if not popular, soundtracks ever. So you had a lot of... Uh, a lot of pressure on you when when that came about. Um, how how well, how did you first meet Frank Stallone, who worked on that? I used to play uh, when when I moved out here with my wife in uh, 1981. Uh, I pretty soon after I got here, I started playing in a cover band out here. And one of the chains that we used to play was called the Red Onion, so a Mexican <laughs> restaurant okay. chain. And uh, uh, I was playing there one night, 
and with this band and I saw Frank come in. I didn't I didn't know him of course, but he looked very familiar. So uh he came up to me at uh one of our breaks and you know, introduced himself and it made sense when he introduced himself because he looked so much like his brother. Right. At least at that time he did. Yeah. And uh he told me that he was playing around town, um, doing his own material, uh basically just like a stripped down acoustic version of cover material, a couple of his things. Um, and he said, you know, I really would love to have a keyboard player play with me because I've been doing these gigs by myself, just playing acoustic guitar and singing. Would you be interested? And he took me out to his car to play me a tape at that time. It was cassettes. Yeah. <laughs> played, played me a tape of some of his songs. And I really, really liked his material. And I said, yeah, let's, let's do that. And, uh, uh, went down and we rehearsed a little bit together and we just we just played out um, around town here in, in the LA area uh, I can't even remember some of the clubs but they were really nice they weren't they weren't dive bars they were nice clubs uh, dinner clubs and, um, and and we had a good time the two of us playing together and it was during that time when his brother came into one of the rehearsals and took Frank aside and told him about uh, the staying alive opportunity. And then Frank came to me and asked me if I was interested in uh, writing some of the material with him. And, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, I had um, John Oates on a few months ago. And before, you know, obviously they got big with Hall and Oates, he, he actually was in Frank Stallone's band early on and uh, yeah he, he raved about what a good musician Frank Stallone really was and I'd imagine you thought he was too yeah he's a um, you know a really really good acoustic guitar player um, when when we got into the rock band stuff uh, he hired a guitar player okay. he, he wanted to just sing and right. play some, some guitar but he really wanted uh, a dedicated guitar player so when we got into the, the bigger stuff, the rock and roll stuff, uh, uh, Frank was basically the singer. But no, he was a great acoustic guitar player I, I and always a great singer. I always admired him for both of those things. Right. And, you know, the soundtrack um, of Staying Alive it was probably more, I guess, well, more well-received than the, the movie itself. And you guys, Far From Over, did really well. Was that like an easy song to like write slash compose?
whole story about that, and I'll try to give the condensed version. Okay. Uh, Frank and I, you know, when, when his brother came down to rehearsal and told him about staying alive, he said, listen, he said, Frank, you know that just because you're my brother, I can't guarantee anything to you, you know? I gotta be very careful not to show favoritism. Right. And, but if you guys, you know, if, if you or you and your band want to come up with some material, I can at least guarantee you that it will be listened to. I won't tell you that it will be given priority, but it will be listened to. And he said, of course, you know, the Bee Gees are going to be um, right. involved again. And of course, it made sense that they were. Uh, anyway, we we went into a studio. We, we wrote five songs with... Uh, between Frank and I and another guy named Joe Esposito. Oh, yeah. Ph phenomenal singer. Uh, he was involved with Flashdance, and uh, so he was actually involved with the, uh, the... He was a background singer to Donna Summers in a, and okay. eventually became the Brooklyn Bridge. Right. Great singer, great guy. So, and I guess Frank knew Joe, so he brought Joe into the fold, so to speak, and the three of us wrote five songs, and... Uh, presented it to Sylvester, and uh, Sylvester uh, hated all five of them. <laughs> Absolutely just said, no, none of this works. And I thought that was it, but, you know, I give Frank a lot of credit for coming back to me and saying, listen, I think I know what's missing in the batch of music that we gave my brother. He said, would you be interested in just getting together one more time, you and I, in your you know, I was living in a house at the time right. uh, with with other musicians, and he and there was a like a communal studio in this garage, and because uh, we were all musicians, and he said, "Can I come over? We'll go over into your into your little garage studio there, and uh, just come up with some ideas." And he came over and he said, "Listen, the only thing I think we need to do is make this a fast piece of music, up tempo and high energy." He said, that's what's missing from the first batch, and I think that's what my brother's looking for. And I would say within 15 or 20 minutes, we had at least the, the germ of the idea, you know, the, the basic idea for Far From Over. And uh, uh, Frank said he thinks that this, he thought that this was, this was what his brother was looking for. So he said, I'm going to take this tape. It was, again, it was a cassette tape. And we had only recorded on a little boombox that Frank brought over. It wasn't a recording studio in this garage. It was basically a studio where people could play and rehearse with bands and things. So Frank brought over this little boombox, and we recorded this this basic idea. I mean, there weren't any words to it at this time. Frank had a little melody that he came up with. We had a, a keyboard part that I came up with. And... Uh, and uh, Frank took it over to his brother in that form, and I, I asked him not to do that because, right. you know, we had this uh, we had the opportunity the first time around to uh, go into a professional recording studio with live musicians and blah blah blah. Here it was only the two of us, you know, the tape recording quality was bad, and he said, "No, I just have a gut feeling." So he took it over to his brother. Now my wife and I. Uh, at the time, we were out to dinner somewhere, and I remember coming back, and we had one bedroom in this house that we lived in. And in that bedroom, there was this little white answering machine by our bed. And every time we were out, I'd come back, and the first thing I would do is check this machine to see if the recording light is on, that, that it would announce that there was a message, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we came home from dinner that night, and sure enough, there was, you know, the machine was blinking, and I played back 
the message, and here it was Sylvester Stallone himself saying, home run, Vince. This is exactly mm. what I was looking for. Now, what happened then, it was like a steamroll effect. It was, uh, you know, all of a sudden this song, you know, Frank threw the lyrics together and, and we recorded the song and uh, everything went so well that that uh, Sylvester went back and reviewed the first five songs that he had rejected and took all those songs into the movie. So it was just an amazing uh, turn of events that happened. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great story, and it, that that song. I mean, it's it, it holds up. It's still a great song. It's it, it's a great also uh, workout song. You know, <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. People work out to it all the time. Yeah, I mean, if if I went to the gym more, I would probably work out to that as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, um, even before you got Rocky Four, you also contributed a little bit to the Rocky Three soundtrack, right? You know, I'm trying to remember. Somebody else asked me that. I, I think I know I sang on the soundtrack, and I think I might have played in a in one of the scenes. I might have played keyboards. I can't remember. Yeah, because I think I yeah, because I think when um, Sylvester, or, you know, rock, playing Rocky was uh, training during the, the for the first fight against uh, Clubber Lang. He rented yeah. out that you know that big hall, and you know Frank Stallone was performing there. So I, I, I think you were in that scene as well. I, I think I may have been, but I know I definitely sang uh, on uh, "Take You Back." Uh, I think right. it was the remake of the first song that Frank right. did for Rocky One, uh, and I still get you know little royalty checks from that. Take you back, do 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 do, take you back. Should even try to take you back, take you back in my life. You say there's a reason that you can't live without my love. Push me back, you push me just too far. You never stop. Speaking of those movies, were you, were you fans of like the first, you know, first couple before you even landed Rocky Four? I, I Rocky One was one of my favorite movies. Right. Uh, I mean, still is. But at that point, I was um, I was knocked out that 
that I would get a job as prestigious as working on any Rocky movie. And yes, I had been well familiar with uh, Rocky One and Rocky Two and uh, and Rocky Three and the music. Of, I always liked Bill Conti's music for it. You know, um, I remember when I was first told that, and it, it was it was the guy that managed Frank and myself, a guy named Robin Garb who really was the impetus to make this happen for me with the Rocky Four opportunity, because he was the music supervisor on a lot of Sylvester Stallone's films, and he was music supervisor on Rocky Four. So he was the first guy, basically, to find out that Sylvester Stallone had a falling out with Bill Conti. Right. And uh, he was the first guy that came to me and said, listen, he said, this may be an opportunity. And from the very beginning, I thought, nah, this is such a long shot. This is never going to happen. Um, but everything, you know, that, that there's a whole story to that that I would tell at some point. I, I think I've told it in other interviews as well. But the way that that came about was really, I, I have to credit Robin, uh, the, the music supervisor, and my manager at the time mm -hmm. as well. Because when, when I was in the band with Frank, and Robin managed Frank. When the opportunity to do Staying Alive came around, uh, I was approached by Robin. He said, listen, maybe maybe we should go into a, a manager-artist relationship as well. And we did, and he was, he was always uh, uh, instrumental, so to speak, in right. getting, <laughs> getting my career going. Um, but the Rocky Four thing, he came to me and told me about the fallout that uh, the falling out that uh, Sylvester had with Bill Conti, and he said, "Listen, how about if I feed you the script uh, as it as it gets developed? I'm going to feed you some of the main script points, and you know, of course, we know because it's a Rocky movie, there's going to be a fight scene, right? Yeah, there's be a training scene, you know, there's going to be this and that." And he told me about that there's going to be a big death and funeral scene in this particular one, so. You know, I, I, I was living in a one-bedroom apartment with my wife at the time, and one of the, uh, I had a, a little eight-track studio in the den of this, uh, one room of, of this uh, apartment, and I recorded these little demos for the, you know, the fight scene and, and training thing and, and the, the funeral scene. Um, as Robin would feed me information, I would go in and compose and record, and uh, you know, never thinking, and, I, and I'm, I'm serious about this, I never thought that it was going to come to a point where I would be hired to actually score the movie. I was thinking, well, what do I have to lose? Right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm no far behind if I don't get this. It doesn't, I mean, it'd be a, it'd be a great thing, but yeah. I really did my best not to get my hopes up. And, and I actually really did not believe that I was going to get the job so that when I did get the call... Uh, months later, that uh, uh, that Sly heard what I did and really, really loved it and wanted to hire me. I, you know, it was a, a, a case of the mouse that roared. It's like, okay, now what do I do? Uh, it, it's amazing that I got this job, but now I have to deliver. And and even though I've won him over with these demos, you know, actually scoring the movie is a whole different ball game. So. Uh, I look at I looked at it as a challenge, but of course the prestige of the project drove me. I mean, it was it was such a great opportunity, and that that really drove me to do my best. You know.
again, you absolutely, I don't want to have a lame term, but it was, it was total knockout because it's, it's such a great, uh, a, 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 you know, a great score. Now, since it was the first one without Bill Conti, did Sly kind of be a little more hands-on with you with it? You know, I have to say he really wasn't. I mean, we had, we had one, uh, one meeting, uh, to sort things out and, uh, that might've lasted, you know, the, the length of the movie maybe, or the length of the scenes that he had shot to that point. And we sussed out some of the things, uh, we, we really didn't, we didn't have to be together a whole lot. He left me alone for the most part. And as far as you know, how to incorporate the the, the original Rocky theme and Bill yeah. Conti's music into what I'm doing, it was kind of pretty self-evident where it needed to happen in the movie. And it wasn't like Sylvester standing over me saying, "Okay, at this point, you got to bring in the Rocky theme and you got to make sure that we hear enough of that." You know, he, he basically left left it up to me. He deferred to me and. Other than that one long session at the beginning and a couple of comments back and forth during the process, he pretty much left me alone. Right. Now, did you, like, know, I'm sure you, you probably knew that he was going to incorporate more, like, commercial music in, in, into the movie? Oh, yeah. Uh, again, because, because of my manager and he was the music supervisor, right. he, was the guy, he was the guy that was coordinating all mm-hmm. these uh, artists and their producers and their managers and everything else and so i knew going into it that you know it wasn't going to be a, a situation where it was going to be mostly score and one song uh you know and it was interesting i mean it, the the sort of behind the scenes uh situation uh being exposed to all these artists that were coming in and all their songs that were being submitted and it, that was cool to me it was like wow this is I'd never seen it work like this before. I mean, I knew staying alive was a, a situation like that, but this was even beyond that. This was, you know, the biggest artists of the day, uh, lots of a variety of songs, and uh, it was it was a great experience. So yeah, I knew going into it that right. it was going to be songs involved. Yeah, and it's it's crazy, and you have like Kenny Loggins have a song on there, you know, who was you know the king of the '80s uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, and his song was like not even really featured. I mean, it was in, briefly in the movie, but it wasn't like a predominantly featured song like most of his songs in other movies. It was kind of tucked away, you know, on the on the soundtrack. Yeah, and you know, I mean, that's a, a testament to the the other songs that right. came. You know, it's like there's so much great material on that soundtrack that they all couldn't become. I mean, it couldn't. It, we would have been lucky to have a situation like. Uh, you know Saturday Night Fever, where I don't mean I don't I think every song that was released was a hit in that in that soundtrack. Uh, I, I think we kind of knew that wasn't going to be the case with Rocky Four, but there were so many great songs and so many great artists and so many great performances that uh, yeah I mean if you can if if you can believe that Kenny Loggins is actually kind of down on the list in that 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 tells you how big that soundtrack was. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, with training montage and obviously war, then you have, you know, Hearts on Fire and, um, you know, No Easy Way Out and, you yeah. know, just all, all, all these songs. It's, it's just a phenomenal. And it's I still think it's probably the best soundtrack 
of all time. But it's my opinion. Even you know, definitely the '80s and probably all time because it's it's such a great listen and it, it it totally holds up and I absolutely love it. You know, there's been several articles about soundtracks in general, and Rocky IV is mentioned frequently about being one of the best. It's certainly one of the best selling. Um, it's the the best selling of all the Rocky soundtracks. Right. But it's also one of the best selling of all soundtracks. And uh, but as far as popularity, it's always mentioned in the top five. Yeah. You know, that, that I'm aware of. Right. And I'm not sure because it's just maybe the feel of the movie, but the whole movie just feels like one music video anyway. I don't know yeah, if it, if it's just like because it's like the mid '80s and it's that that time. But I mean, it's just like from point A to point B. It's just it's just it's it's a very tight movie where you know it just flows with the music as well. It's it's a very it was a very good uh, union of music and picture and uh, and style and it, it just had all the elements to to uh, you know it, it wasn't surprising that it became the success that it did. Right now. Um, few years later kind of went back to square one with rocky five was there any like kind of anticipation that you might get that or you figured there can be kind of some sort of like reconciliation with uh, bill conti uh, let's see you know there is a story behind that that i don't know how much i can really tell but i'll, okay. I'll tell you this much um i was yeah i was disappointed to hear that uh that I wasn't going to be considered for Rocky right. Five, but I also understood that, uh, and I can't remember who it was that was that was producing or directing. I don't know if it was Sly himself directing. I can't remember. I think it was John Allison did, did the fifth one. The guy that did Rocky One. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's what I understood that John Avildsen wanted the elements of Rocky One in place for Rocky Five. So that's why uh, they went to. Um, back to Bill Conti, okay. and I understood that. Uh, I, you know, I was approached about working on maybe one piece, right? Um, but it, I don't think I, f I forget the details. It just didn't work out. That you know, Bill Conti obviously did a great job uh, in all the other Rocky movies, and he did his thing in Rocky Five, but. You know, the movie itself, I, I think, has not been given the kind of... Um, I don't think it received the kind of attention that the other Rocky movies did. I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I knew going into that that, that uh, John Avildsen wanted all the elements of Rocky 1 back in for Rocky 5. Yeah, that's that's pretty much a very diplomatic way of saying the movie kind of stunk. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I didn't want to come out and say that. No, I, I'll, I'll say it. You know, and it's yeah, it's definitely uh, of the first five. You know, it's probably obviously the, the fifth one, but it's just it, it tries to incorporate obviously everything from the first one, except a good story. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so, but and that went into that went into my my thought after I saw the movie that I wasn't really that disappointed that I wasn't involved. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I would have, I would have loved the opportunity to do the work and, right. and, you know, add it to my credits. But as you know, it wasn't, you could tell right away. It wasn't the powerhouse that Rocky four was. It was just not even close. Yeah. So and my disappointment had kind of been, uh, uh, you know, brought down a bit. Right. And besides 
the first Rocky. I think Rocky Four has shown the most anyway, so it's uh, it's it's not bad for you there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. So then after that, you you got another. Um, it's it's a cult classic now. I mean, I I saw it when I was young. I don't want to age you but um transformers uh i was a huge transformers fan and when the movie came out my i was 12 years old so my wow. uh, yeah uh, sorry sorry about that <laughs> yeah my my grandfather took me uh originally from queens new york we just went to the and it's, it's ironic the theater that we went to see the movie just closed over the summer so wow. yeah so it, w- it was a packed theater and very ex- you know very excited to see it and all of a sudden there was a scene in space where I forgot, I think the Transformer's name was Spike, who cursed. He said, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was a big deal. That was a huge deal. And the, the gasp over the crowd, you would think yep. that someone got shot. The, the, <laughs> the entire theater, besides my grandfather and me, left. And we, we were all looking around. My, my grandfather was looking around. I was like, what's going on? Why? You know, because of the curse. And I was yeah. like, all right, no big deal, you know. He he jokes that you know grandma says far worse things than this so <laughs> so yeah so I think when the VHS copy came out they they edited out the uh, the oh shit line but oh, did they? No, I, I didn't remember that I didn't remember that I I, I believe so I, they may have put it back for the uh, for the you know the DVD release which and they're actually I think in late September they're putting in the theaters for one night only yes I I, I know that yeah I'm sure you do yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that that's a great... I don't know that I'm going to be there. It's, okay. It's a week after the show that I'm doing at the Whiskey, and I'm going to be... I know I'm going to be decompressing for a while after the show, but right. uh, it's so cool that they're doing that, you know, that they're... Uh, it's all across the country, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like the Fathom events, and I, I think Stan Bush is has uh, an interview he's doing in, involved in it, or he's performing yeah. The Touch, which obviously you know well. Uh, so yeah. So how, how did you how did you get that? It actually it actually came about as a direct result of my scoring Rocky Four. The okay. producers of Transformers came to me. We had a meeting and they said, "Listen, we we were knocked out with the score to Rocky Four. And even though this movie that we're making is a completely different movie, there's still some common ground in that it's a hero movie. You know, it's a a good versus evil, a good triumphs over evil." Um, and uh, we were wondering if you could adapt your style to the storyline that we have and, and the style that we have. Uh, at the time, they didn't have any footage for me to look at. In fact, even when they hired me, uh, I was, maybe you've seen this elsewhere, but I, I was forced to work with what they call storyboards. Okay, right, yeah. I didn't have any footage to look at, but I mean, uh, I'm getting, I'm going around the, the bend here a little bit. I, <laughs> I, the um, the producers loved the work that I did, and they they said, "Listen, can you do a demo for us? Just to we we really believe that this is going to work, but just for all of us, sort of to get comfortable. Can you do a demo? And in this demo, just give us a a, a hero theme, uh, a, war, a battle scene." Uh, a piece after the war scene, you know, this whole thing. So I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. So I wrote this piece of music and it ended up being called Legacy. And it's about, it was about a six minute piece of music and it really, really good music. And I played it for them and they loved it. And they, it actually got me the gig to score Transformers. 
But as it ended up, none of the music from that piece ended up in the movie. It's just that's just the way it went. Right. Um, you know, once I got a chance to see the storyboards and uh, and we talked a little bit more about uh, what what the film needed musically, uh, other music just started to come in my head. And you know, it, I kind of veered away from the music that I did for for Legacy and and that piece still is in existence and it, it was it ended up on a couple of the soundtracks that came out for some of the Transformers conventions. still holds up even today and it and it, you can definitely hear the connection between that and the rest of the score that I did the actual score that got into the movie uh, so yeah I, that's that's how that job came about it was Rocky four I have to credit with um, bringing the producers of Transformers to me and it was a great uh, turn of events there as well right and then you said you had to work with storyboards I'm pretty sure that you hadn't watched an episode of Transformers before you got the uh, the gig, right? <laughs> no, in fact, uh, it, it, they didn't even ask me to do this, but it, it was my decision not to see anything from the TV series. I didn't want to be influenced either right. way. And I really had no uh, knowledge of the Transformers franchise up until that point. So it was kind of good that I came in fresh and wasn't influenced by anything that had happened before that. Uh, 
So no, I had not watched any of the TV episodes. Obviously the legacy of Rocky IV, just the legacy of that soundtrack and that movie in whole? The, the legacy of, of both of these movies. I mean, you know, you have to understand when Transformers was first released, it was pretty much a bomb. I think it was yeah. in, and out, in and out of the theaters in a week. And uh, as I've told, uh, in, as I've mentioned in many interviews, uh, I, I never looked at it as just a job, but after the movie came out and... and you know, when I saw the soundtrack, when I saw the movie and I heard how they mixed the, the music into the movie, I was, you know, I was kind of disappointed because, as usual, they mixed the music way lower than the effects and everything else. And I was disappointed in that. Uh, I was disappointed in how the, the uh, you know, I'm, I'm jumping around a bit here, but that's okay. The, the music that we, that I composed for Transformers. Because it was composed to storyboards, between that part of the process and when the music actually existed in, was put into the movie, the, the filmed footage, there was a lot, I want to say, that was lost in the translation. A lot of the music had to be edited from its original form that I wrote it in. And my point is, when I first saw the finished product, I was, I was a bit disappointed in, in a lot of ways. I was disappointed in how it was mixed. I was disappointed in how the music was presented and edited and cut up. And even though it was my uh, partner and co-producer on that project that was overseeing the music editing, he did the best he could. But it was like the, the picture was so cut up from the original version that I had written to that it was disappointing to me. So when that happened and you, you join that with the fact that the movie was a bomb. Right. And, I, it was kind of instantly forgettable to me. It was like, okay, I did that. It was, I did the best I could. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy with the recorded versions of the music. Um, but after that, it kind of dropped out of existence for me. So that when I was contacted, you know, 11 years after the movie came out, to say that there were Transformers conventions, right, <laughs> and, and that my score actually had a cult following along with the movie. I was completely caught off guard. I was absolutely flabbergasted. So that that project has become uh, a great legacy for me. And I started to go to these Transformers conventions with Stan. Um, and I think we were both equally amazed at how much attention this movie that we thought was, had been forgotten had actually received and became this big cult following. So. I think even more than Rocky IV, I mean, Rocky IV was the obvious, here's a big hit. It's, you know, it was like it went from zero to 100 uh, right away, and then its, its success gradually fell off like so many things happen. But with Transformers, it was the other way around. You know, it was like, okay, this movie came out, it was a bomb, uh, did not realize that that these young kids were going to see this thing and it would stay with them. And even as they got older, that movie and that soundtrack became important to them. So yeah, it was, it was more of a, an unexpected surprise with Transformers than it was with Rocky four. Although having said that, you know, watching Rocky four become the behemoth that it did, uh, as, as a successful movie and soundtrack, 
uh, was a wonderful opportunity and, and uh, uh, an amazing experience for me. Right. Um, and now, obviously, they made, I don't even remember, they probably lost count, how, uh, X amount of live action Transformer movies, you know, directed by Michael Bay. Um, yes. Have they, has he or anyone from those movies asked you to work on any of the uh, music? No, and, and the reason that I was given, uh, not directly from Michael Bay, but right. I saw this in interviews that he gave in print and on uh, interviews on TV. And, uh, I, you know, he made it clear from the very beginning that he would, he would really want to distance himself from the animated movie for these live action movies. He didn't want any elements that were involved in the animated movie. Um, even though, you know, had I been uh, approached, I would have taken a whole different approach to the music for the live action movies than I did for the animated movies. Right. Uh, but I understood, you know, um, he, there were two, two factors that went into me not being uh, considered for the first or any of the live-action Transformers movies. Number one, he definitely wanted to distance himself from the animated movie. Number two, more importantly, and I respect this a lot because this is this is how it happens in the business. Right. He had a composer. He had a relationship with a, with Steve Jablonski way before uh, Transformers was even thought of okay. as a live-action. Right. And in fact, the story goes that he worked with Steve Jablonski on the movie The Island and at the time okay yeah um, you know he made it he made a commitment a promise to Steve Jablonski that he followed through on and I totally respect this he said listen Steve he said I enjoyed working with you on this movie we did great work together uh, for my next action movie whatever it's going to be I promise I'm going to hire you to score and it just happened to be Transformers, Transformers. and uh, you know Steve did a great job for the first movie, and they they had a big success with the first movie, so it made sense that all the movies following that would be that team of people. So, you know, was I disappointed? Absolutely. I would have loved to have had something to do with the music of one of the live-action uh, Transformers movies, but I understood. It was... It was uh, there were political reasons why it didn't happen, and I understood all that. Right, and I... I can totally see how he distanced himself from the animated movie because personally, I'm not a fan of any of those live action movies, and I still think the animated movie is is far better than that. So, uh, but you know, a, a paycheck would have been nice, right? Yeah, it would have been nice. And and no, even from a creative standpoint, you know, when I watched, I mean, I I didn't watch all the sequels. I didn't. I watched the original Transformers live action movie, and um, I could I could have I could have heard. Uh, my style being right. adapted into that at some points, but you know it, it doesn't matter. I mean, Steve did a great job. It was like Steve did exactly what Michael Bay wanted him to do, yeah. and um, you know, from everything I heard, Michael Bay is not the easiest guy to work for. So I'm, yeah. maybe it was a blessing, right? Yeah, <laughs> have anything to do with it? But no, they did great work together, and uh, they've had great success, and, and you know, more power to them. Yeah, they certainly make money those movies, so definitely. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you 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 were able to stay in the Transformers family. You uh, did the music for the Angry Bird Transformers game, which I I played a, a little bit. Um, how how did that come about?
Well, once again, uh, you know, my involvement with the original animated movie uh, led to the music, I forget what they call him, they, 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 not the music supervisor, uh, the head of music, let's put it that way. They call him something different, but it basically was the head of music right. at Roveal Entertainment. He was a fan of my score to the original movie, and when they decided to do Angry Birds Transformers, he said, really? He said, you were in on... You were at the top of the list for, for, as far as I was concerned, to come to and ask to do the music for this. So, yeah, it was a direct result of me having scored the first movie that, uh, that the head of music at Rovio really thought that it would be great to have me score the game, and I'm really glad he thought that. Yeah, and that kind of, was that like your first kind of foray into doing video games? Years before that, I had worked with a band in the studio called T-Square, a Japanese band. And basically, I think it was two guys, and uh, they had done some video game scoring, uh, or they had done some music that was used in video games. And uh, what was the, the Gran Turismo? Was okay, the, yeah. Was the uh, the game franchise that they were involved with? And I don't know if they were in from the beginning of that, but I know they were in for Gran Turismo Four, and. Uh, I was hired as a musician along with uh, a good friend of mine named Doug, Doug Bossy, who was a great guitar player and great composer himself. And Doug kind of brought me into um, the T-Square family because he had worked with them before, and they were looking for a keyboard player at some point for an album that they were doing. And Doug brought me into that, and at that point they were asked to do some music for Gran Turismo 5, I believe. And... Um, we actually played on a couple of songs that they wrote and recorded. Uh, so our our playing was involved in Gran Turismo. And in, for one of the sequels, when we worked with T-Square a second time, uh, they approached me about writing and arranging one piece of music of theirs uh, for, the, for the game. And again, I can't remember which one it was. I right. think it was number five. And uh, they brought a piece to me, I guess it was a theme that they had written for one of the previous Gran Turismos. And uh, they wanted me to do my own arrangement of it, and they wanted me to write an introduction, like a, a one-minute introduction to this piece of music. And uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the piece, but it, it's, it's easily uh, looked up on, on Google. But it was, it was a theme to... Uh, the, the theme that T-Square wrote to okay. the Grand Turismo series. And I know it had the word castle in the, in the title, but I can't remember hmm. the, the, the words leading up to that. Anyway, they came to me and asked me to rearrange this piece, uh, do my own arrangement and production. Uh, actually, Doug and I did our own production of that piece, and then they asked me personally to do a one-minute introduction to it. So it was just like orchestral meets rock uh, arrangement that I did and uh, they loved it and they used it in the game and that was my first foray into uh, the world of video game music um, and it, it grew out of there and uh, you know I think I think Angry Birds Transformers was like the second or third thing down the line that I did after that okay yeah, it was called Moon Over the Castle thank you that you're, was it. you're welcome <laughs> Yeah, I have to love the internet, right? <laughs> hey, it's great. Yeah. Now, um, 
like you, you mentioned, like obviously you work a lot with synthesizers. Um, what do you prefer, like when scoring a piece? Do you prefer doing like a big orchestral, like sounding thing, or more synthesizers? Or are you kind of like kind of like a blending of the two? You know, the, the the ultimate is the blending of the two, and I have to say, very few composers, in my opinion, get that blend right. Uh, there are a few. Uh, there, there was one guy actually that came out of Hans Zimmer's camp. His name is John Powell, an English composer. And I remember he did the whole Born Identity series, you know, okay. the whole Born series. Right. Some of the, it's till, to this day, I think it's some of the best action music written. And he really got the balance right of, of rock elements and orchestral elements. So, uh, and there are a few others, but, uh, the, the ultimate for me is a blend between rock elements and orchestral elements. And I started doing that with Rocky IV. I mean, I, I did that a little bit, but it was still more synth than it was orchestra. In fact, when I brought in the orchestrator, Jeremy Lubbock, who is a phenomenal orchestrator, his first comment to me when I first met him was, you know, for this music, Vince, you look at the orchestra as uh, supporting the synthesizers. So, yeah, I, I don't hear this as being an orchestral score like Rocky 1, 2, right. and 3. Uh, you know, I love the rock elements that you have in your demos. You know, the big drums, the, the rock guitar, and these great, amazing analog synthesizer sounds. Um, he says, I just think that the orchestra should support that. I don't think it should over overshadow it. And uh, I, I thought that was great. He got it right away. And... Uh, um, but you know, and in Transformers, because they didn't have a budget for an orchestra, basically I had to create the sound of an orchestra with synthesizers, okay. and that was the approach that we took. Um, and and uh, with the help of my really good friend and uh, uh, associate Casey Young, who was the synthesizer programmer on uh, Staying Alive and Rocky Four and Transformers. Uh, Casey brought in this array of amazing synthesizer equipment and not only the equipment but he knew how to get the best out of the of the equipment and uh, we really worked closely together when it came to Transformers I mean we did on the other stuff but Transformers was the opportunity for us to really dig into these uh, synthesizers and see what they could do um, not only in imitating an orchestra but in creating their own sounds because there was a lot of electronic elements to the score to transformer so i know i'm i'm giving a long answer to your oh no question. it's quite all right it's great but you know the 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 ultimate for me is a combination of rock and orchestral elements and uh you know i'm still waiting for a great chance to to put that into practice um, and i will at some point but uh that's the ultimate for me right now um what are you like currently working on um, actually, I'm working on preparation for a show that I'm doing out here uh, at the Whiskey A Go Go on September 20th. Uh, it's going to be a great show. There's going to be two sets of music. The first set's going to be a new progressive rock band that I've been working on with some friends for years called Saga Star. And the second set is going to be uh, a different band playing music from my film score work and some of the video game stuff. So there's going to be stuff from Transformers, Rocky IV, Angry Birds Transformers, uh, and some other goodies involved. Uh, the set's going to be about an hour and 15 minutes long. 
Uh, and uh, that's happening September 20th. Uh, information can be found easily on the internet for this. Um, and, and that's been taken up all of my time for the last few months. Uh, it's a big undertaking because there are two different bands. Right. I'm, I'm sort of preparing, helping, overseeing the preparation on both bands. Uh, so I'm excited about it, though. It's going to be a great night of music. And uh, uh, my, my partner, Kenny, and I, uh, Kenny's going to be involved. Uh, he's the one that helped write the music to uh, Angry Birds Transformers. Um, we're going to be debuting some uh, other video game music for this show, um, some unreleased, some, some music that's about to be released, uh, video games that are about to be released. So it's, um, it's going to be quite a special night of music. And that's, that's been the focus of my time. Uh, for the past few months right I, I hope that goes really well for you um now if, if that does become successful you ever think about coming like perform on the east coast oh i'd love to in fact i did perform on the east coast because uh, i'm from the east coast i performed back there in january of this year at an event called magfest okay yeah uh stands for music and games festival and uh, I I was uh, invited to perform at the event, and the organizer put me with a band of musicians that she said not only were up to the task of playing my stuff, but they were fans of my music, and they would go the extra mile, and they did, and they they did such a great job, and we all had a great time, and uh, that was sort of a precursor because I'm doing some of the music that I did at that event at this event out here in California, and. But this is like an expanded version of that. There's going to be more vocal material this time around. Um, most of the instrumental, most of the stuff that I did uh, for Magfest was instrumental. We had one uh, vocal piece we did there back there. Okay. Uh, but this is this is going to be an extended version of that. So yeah, I would. Uh, in fact, there is a gentleman that's uh, that's working on uh, some live gigs for me in 2019 back there in that area. So. I'll keep everybody posted on that. That would be a big thrill for me because that's where I'm from. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm definitely working on it. That'd be awesome. Just make sure New York is one of the stops. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Now, like when you perform, what's like the biggest piece from like your from your movies that gets like the biggest salvation? Oh, it's definitely training on top.
that's I think that that piece has been um, the the best from me and my family <laughs> right. in the last thirty some years. Um, it keeps getting licensed for different things, which is amazing. I yeah. love it. It was uh, uh, it was licensed for Target a few several years back for their uh, uh, Black Friday campaign campaign. You know, before Christmas, leading up to Christmas. Um, uh, it was used like for six weeks, two years in a row, and it was used in a really humorous, cool way. Uh, but I'm amazed that the thing keeps getting the, the piece of music keeps getting licensed so frequently, and it's it's been good to me. And that's the piece I'm most known for. So yeah, that's 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 the big one. Right. Yeah, and that that one was more synthesizers, right? Yes. Then the orchestral, whereas I think War was probably a little bit of blending, but more synth. That's that's correct. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, the the version of Training Montage that ended up on the soundtrack uh, is not the same version that ended up in the movie. Right. The movie version had a little bit more orchestral elements to it. Um, whereas, uh, and again, I, I don't want to digress too much, but the demo that we put together for Training Montage before the movie was even shot is the one that actually ended up on the soundtrack album so uh, there were uh, there were a few orchestral elements but the version that was in the movie had a lot more orchestral elements to it right yeah and they're they're all great and um vince this was such a treat for me i really appreciate it um good luck with the show on september 20th i hope it goes well and hopefully we can see you on the east coast next year i hope so thank you so much for having me and a special thanks to Vince for joining us today go check out Vince on Twitter at Decola Official he's on Facebook all those places where you get the most up to date information and like I said if you're in LA on September 20th go see him at the Whiskey A Go Go if you want to follow me on Twitter I'm at the person 019 be sure to like the page for Living My Youth on Facebook go to iTunes check out all the past episodes we've had while you're there, please rate and review the show. If you don't have iTunes, not a problem. You can find the show on SoundCloud. You can find it on Podbean. Special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do it without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of Living My Youth real soon. <laughs>